Uh, I'm so excited to be here. Um, if you don't know who my name or you don't know who I am or what my name is, rather, um, I'm Justin Faulkner. Uh, that's my wife. She just sung right here. Um, I've been on staff here for a couple years now, and I have the privilege um, to be a part of both student ministry and, and children's ministry. I am the uh, director over our middle school ministry here, and I help out and coordinate some in Adventure Bible Club. Um, I'm also known as, and, and by my, my side hustle as an on-call actor here, that in the VBS 2022 production, I starred as a clumsy knight named Chauncey, and in the 2023 VBS production, I starred as a, a mad scientist named Dr. Doofenhoff. It's like a Doofenhoff. Um, and then, oddly enough, in the 2022 Christmas video, I starred as one of the key members from the boy band Wham, Andrew Ridgely. And so, I'm preaching now. This is my role. I'm putting on the preaching cap. Um, with this being said, it's, it truly has been a joy uh, to be a part of HBC. Reagan and I are thankful for you all um, and what, what you've done. You've, you've poured a lot into us, um, and, and so we, we are ever grateful and thankful. Uh, and as the director of our middle school ministry, I have the privilege of teaching on a Sunday night. And if you've been in student ministry, raise your hand if you're a student in here. Nice. Yeah, you're going to hear sermons that I've already preached before. Uh, because we, we've been studying through Romans chapter 8. And as we have looked at Romans chapter 8, we, we call it the great eight. And it's the great eight because there are so many marvelous truths that we get to set our mind to. Um, some theologians, if they have considered Romans 8, and the students know this illustration, they've made known that if the Bible were a mountain range, then the tallest mountain in this range would be the book of Romans. And if the book of Romans were the tallest mountain in the range, then the pinnacle or the summit on this mountain would be Romans chapter 8. I heard another theologian um, say that if the, the Bible were a ring, then the book of Romans would be the diamond on this ring. And if the book of Romans were this diamond, then the apex cut would be Romans chapter 8. And as we've studied through this in student ministry, we've seen that's true. Like it truly is an amazing chapter in the Bible. Sinclair Ferguson, as he comes to Romans chapter 8 and considers Romans 8, says this, Romans 8 has almost everything in it. It begins with our justification by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. It continues with sanctification and the work of the Holy Spirit. Then it speaks about our adopted sonship with the Father, the significance of suffering, the prospect of glory, the final redemption of our bodies, and the restoration of all creation. It reassures us that as we wait for our resurrection and final transformation, the Spirit helps us in our weakness and intercedes for us. Not only this, 
Sinclair states, but it teaches us about the good and the sovereign providence of God in our lives and that his goal is to transform us into his likeness, the likeness of Christ. Indeed, Paul says, nothing can stop God from bringing to pass. No one can successfully oppose us. No one can bring any charge against the believer. No one can condemn the believer. Or finally, nothing at all can separate the believer from the love of God in Christ Jesus. The great eight. So this Sunday and next Sunday, I have the privilege of being with you guys here. And what I want to do is sort of camp out on the summit. I want to pack our bags up and we're just going to sit on the summit and sit on the pinnacle of this mountain for two weeks. And we're going to do this in order that we may behold in order that we may set our mind to, and maybe most importantly, in order that we may rest in what God has done for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're going to see that the most marvelous reality is to be in Christ. The most marvelous truth, the most marvelous reality is to be in Christ So if you're not already there, please turn to Romans chapter 8, and uh, we're just going to begin today by reading our text. Today we're going to go through verse 8, and then next Sunday we're going to go through verse 17. So we have a lot to cover. Starting in verse 1, Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God did what the law could not do, weak as it was according to the flesh, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Two truths that we're going to see today. Two two marvelous truths that we see in this text. First, we're going to see that in Christ, there is no condemnation. In Christ, there is absolutely no condemnation. You have been released from the penalty of sin, no condemnation. Secondly, we're going to see that in Christ, you are no longer controlled. You are no longer enslaved. Not only have you been set free from the penalty of sin, but you've been set free from the power of sin and the grasp of sin. And Paul starts in verse 1 with our first truth that in Christ you are no longer condemned. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And in the student ministry, um, actually Nate kind of introduced this phrase to me. 
He says, as we come to a like passage where we see the word therefore, he uses the phrase, what is that therefore, therefore? What, do you, what does Paul mean when he says therefore? And in this particular case, when a writer says therefore, he's making known that the thought that he's about to, to, to state, this statement is actually built upon what he had just discussed. And that's Romans chapter 7. And if we kind of look back at Romans chapter 7 and, and, and um, get a little summary, we would see that from 7 really to verse 25, something is happening in Paul's inner members. There's a conflict taking place. And this conflict is one that's marked by a battle that Paul is fighting. And this battle is one between Paul's flesh and the new spirit and the new life that he has been given in Christ. And Paul illustrates this battle and verses 21 through 24, where he describes the spiritual battle almost as if he has a body of death attached to him. That he's, as he's trying to fight the good fight, as he's trying to run the race with endurance, he has this body of death that is attached to him. And as MacArthur considers what this body of death is, he describes that it's the believer's unredeemed humanness. The believer's unredeemed humanness. That the believer, though he has been given new life in Christ and has been set free from the bondage of sin, still has this dead body still remaining in him. Still has this unredeemed humanness still remaining in him. And this is the same for the believer. And as we see in Romans 7, this dead body for Paul And this dead body for every believer and all of its deceitfulness sometimes creeps in to our new lives and causes us to fall and to stumble and to fall into sin. And if you're a believer, you you know that. You've seen that in your life. That that you can almost testify in accordance with Paul that, man, I, I do things sometimes that I do not want to do. And as Paul is seeing this battle take place in his members, and he's looking at this conflict taking place, look what he says in verse 24. He says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? That phrase, oh, wretched man, that's Paul crying and lament over his sin. That's really a a cry of desperation. Who's going to deliver me? It's a cry of frustration, a cry of grief. And in the midst of this conflict and confusion, here's what's amazing, that Paul goes immediately to verse 1 of chapter 8, and he makes known the singular truth that in Christ there is Therefore, now no condemnation. In Christ, there is no condemnation. I was um, picturing a, a court hearing this week because the word condemnation is kind of a legal word. Um, and in this courtroom, it, you've probably seen it on the TV or if you've actually been to a hearing or a case, um, you, 
you know that you go in there and, and as the hearing or the case is wrapping up, the court has, uh, the judge has a sentence. And as he's given the sentence, he brings out the wonderful gavel. Don't we all love the gavel? And after he gives the sentence, he smacks the gavel on the stand, and that gavel smack is an indication that the sentence is final. It is final, definitive. The the ruling has been set, and the ruling is final. Nothing can change the ruling. No retrial, no questions asked. The verdict has been given. And I kind of think about that as we come to verse 1 of Romans 8, that as Paul makes known that there is therefore now no condemnation, he's pointing out to the believer that you have been given a verdict and you have been given a sentence and that is not guilty. You are not guilty. The judge over all creation has considered you to be free from your guilt. And what's amazing about being in Christ truly is that we are released from the penalty of sin. If you are in Christ, you are no longer condemned. You are no longer subject to prosecution. You are no longer subject to punishment. You are no longer under the wrath of God because of Christ's payment in his substitutionary atonement for you. No condemnation. And as I considered this, I I, I thought about how does this happen? Such a great truth. How does this happen? How does a sinner go from being eternally condemned to being eternally made right with God? And Paul gives us the answer to that in verses 2 and 3. Look at verse 2. For, meaning he's pointing back to verse 1, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. That because of Christ, those who have faith in him have been given the Holy Spirit. And in the spirit, because of Christ's death, sin no longer is reigning over you. You are no longer under the dominion of sin and death. Death no longer has its lasting power on you. You are no longer condemned because you are no longer a slave to your sin. And you're no longer a slave to death. But Paul doesn't stop there. Look at verse 3. He continues, how does this happen? Well, it happens firstly because you're set free from sin. Secondly, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. And and as we see the the word law here, Paul is really referring to the Mosaic law. The Ten Commandments and all the laws that we see in the first five books of the Bible. And he makes known that that law, God's perfect law, could not accomplish something for us. And God had to do something. But what could the law not accomplish for us? And there are many passages that talk about this. You can write a few of these down. Galatians 3.10, Acts 13.3, Hebrews 10.1-4 clearly states that the law could not save us. The law cannot 
save you. It cannot justify you. It cannot release you from the penalty of sin. It cannot release you and set you free from your bondage to sin. And therefore, it cannot justify you. I heard a quote this week that says this, the law is weak to us because we are weak to it. The sun cannot give light to blind eye, not from any impotency in itself, but merely from the incapacity of the subject that it shines upon. So the law is perfect, it's righteous. I mean, it's God-breathed. God gave us that law, and it's glorious. But Paul says it's weak, but, but not because it's weak in itself. It's weak because we are weak to it. If we could live perfectly, if we could live righteously, if we could fully obey God's law, yes, we could be given perfect righteousness. Well, we would have perfect righteousness at that point. If we could obey God perfectly, we could be with God for eternity and be set free from sin, but we cannot do that. No one can obey God. And Romans 3, 10 through 12 states that. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks. God all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So what's glorious about being in Christ is that there's therefore now no condemnation. And how does that happen? Well, it happens completely apart from your merit, completely apart from your quote-unquote obedience Instead, God has accomplished what you could not. And how did he accomplish this? And Paul says in the second half of verse three, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, he condemned sin in the flesh. You are set free from sin if you are in Christ because Christ condemned sin in the flesh. Colossians 1, 19-20 says, For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things, whether on heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. You are released from the penalty of sin because of what Christ accomplished for you. And Christ himself reconciled you, a sinner, by his cross. And he made you at peace with God because of his cross and the blood that he shed for us. But after we see what and after we see how, the question comes, why? Why did this have to happen? Why would God do this? Why would God save sinners? And we see that in verse 4. Paul says, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. In order that the righteous requirement of the law may be fulfilled in us. The, the transcendent God, the God who is just to condemn every sinner to hell for eternity, came to this earth in the likeness of sinful flesh. Why? So that he may give you his righteousness. 
And as Derek Thomas is considering this, he, he states this, a million questions arise, not the least of which is this, how could God possibly love me so much? How could God possibly love me so much that he would come and die for me so that I may have his righteousness? There's no greater love than a man would die for his friends, Christ said. No greater love. And so the, the application in some ways for believers is this, rejoice. Like, rejoice in Christ. May that truth give you eternal joy. May that truth help your soul rest that I am no longer condemned. Because the truth is, some of us could be like Paul. And, and as we're seeing this battle take place within us, it can cause us to despair. And as we see our sin, we're disgusted by our sin, we're grieved by our sin, and that could cause you to be heavy laden, that could cause you to be burdened. And here's what Paul would say. Despairing sinner, look to Christ, for in him you are no longer condemned. Look to Christ, for in him you are no longer condemned. I love this song, Before the Throne of God above. And the writer states in that song, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my soul is counted free for God the just is satisfied to, guess what, look on him and pardon me. To look on Christ and pardon me. The verdict is out, and if you are in Christ, you are not guilty. There is therefore now no condemnation. And if that's the most marvelous reality and the most marvelous truth, then comes with that is a most dreadful reality. And the most dreadful truth, and here's that truth, that if you are not in Christ, that apart from Christ, you are eternally condemned. That we, we flip that coin there. In Christ, we are no longer condemned, but apart from Christ, you are eternally condemned. Apart from Christ, you are sitting under the wrath of God. But there's hope. And that hope is in the very person we have just discussed and you're in the courtroom right now, and you have a verdict, and that verdict is guilty, but if you have faith in Christ, he comes to you, and he takes what you had sentenced for you, and he takes your verdict because of your sin, and he puts it upon himself, and he takes that. And he took that on the cross, and, and paid for your sin, that if you have faith in him, and if that if you believe in him today, you would be given a new verdict, and that verdict would be not guilty. So have faith in Christ. Put your trust in Christ today. Um, that, that is the first truth that we see in this um, chapter and in these verses. And secondly, we're going to see that no longer are you not condemned, 
You're no longer released from the penalty of sin, but not only that, but you are no longer controlled. You are no longer under the power of sin. And as Paul launches out into that in verse 5, going to verse 8, he, he kind of points back to the thought that he established in verse 2. And here is the thought, that when you are united to Christ, you are no longer under the dominion of sin. You have been set free from the power and from the dominion of sin and death. You're not only released from the penalty, but you're released from the power. And, and in order to describe this and illustrate this, we see Paul really talks about two people. Starting in verse 5, look at verse 5. He says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. That first person there that he describes, that's the unbeliever. The, the unbeliever is living according to the flesh and setting their mind on the things of the flesh. And, and really, as Paul gives this word lives, what does it mean to live according to something? He's talking about this is a natural sway, the, a natural disposition. That for those who live according to the flesh, their natural disposition and their natural sway within the inner members of their body is to fulfill the lusts of the flesh and to walk in the flesh. And he compares that person to the believer. And the believer in opposition to the unbeliever does not live according to their flesh. They now have a new natural disposition and a new sway, and that sway is in accordance with the Spirit. And because Christ's Spirit, you are able to honor Him. You're able to walk in obedience to him. So what's so great about being in Christ? Well, you're released from the power of sin. And now we need to ask how. How does this happen? How are we released from sin? And Paul, the, the answer lies in a distinguishing mark between the believer and the unbeliever. And we've just talked about it. The Holy Spirit. The believer has the Holy Spirit because of the work of Christ and because of having faith in Christ, but the unbeliever does not have the Holy Spirit, and they are under the power of sin and death. And what I love is Paul kind of doesn't leave us there. He, he gives us a test, a litmus test to see whether or not we have the Spirit. And that litmus test really is in, in verse 5. And it's a test of the mind. Where does your mind go? Just regularly throughout the week, as, as you're thinking and as you're getting up in the morning and, and going to bed, where does your mind go? Because Paul would say that the mindset is a reflection of who you are on the inside. That your mindset gives evidence to the state of your spiritual condition. 
For instance, excuse me, those whose minds are set on the flesh, they will naturally, in their desire and in their search for joy and satisfaction, set their mind on sin. And and that indicates that they are in the flesh. If your mind is always set on the things that are below, here on earth, in your sin, then you do not have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. But in opposition, those whose minds are set on the Spirit, those whose minds are continually walking in the Spirit, being filled by the Word, setting our minds on things that are above, if that is you, that is an indication that on the inside you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. And that's an indication, really, you have been released from your old disposition to love your sin and always think about your sin. It's almost like a, a compass. I, I remember being in Boy Scouts, and we used to, they, we used to, they would give us coordinates, and we would have to take our compass and, and map it out, and we would kind of go throughout the woods, and, and the final destination would be like a canteen or a, some form of treasure. Um, and as you're walking, you, you have this compass, and a good compass, you could throw it on the dirt, you could submerge it in water, you could spin around as quick as you can and as much as you want, but when you stop, where is it going to point? North. And, and a good compass will, will always point north. And in Christ, what Paul is saying is through the Spirit, the believer's mind is like that compass. That through the Spirit, the believer's mind is constantly set north and is constantly set on the things that are above. And so if you look at your life and you see you have a bad compass per se, that you see your compass pointing south all the time, That from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed, all you can think about is yourself. All you can think about is the earthly things and your flesh and your sin. Then that means, and that is an indication that you are still enslaved to your sin and you are not in Christ. John Owen, as he's reflecting upon Paul's thoughts in verses 5 through 8, makes known this, that the thoughts of men are like blossoms on a tree. Many of these blossoms or thoughts fall to the ground without producing fruit. However, some of these blossoms or thoughts do produce fruit. Then he states this, ordinarily voluntary thoughts are truly the best measure and indication of the frame of our Minds, And that's what Paul's going for here. That if you look at what you think about most of the time, if you look at, I love Derek Thomas, he said the default setting of your mind. If you look at the default setting of your mind, you will get an indication of your spiritual condition. And the believer is set free from that disposition towards sin. So what's so great about being in Christ? Well, in Christ, you are no longer under the power of sin. 
You are no longer under the control of sin. And how does that take place? Through the Spirit. But we need to ask the question, why again? Why did this have to take place? Why did our minds and our dispositions need to be changed? And Paul answers that in verses 6 through 7. Really into 8 as well. Look at verse 6. He says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Why do we need a a new mindset? Verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. That in our old ways and in our old mind, we were heading in a direction. And that direction was leading to the destination of eternal death and eternal condemnation. Not only that, but before our minds were hostile to God. And they did not want to obey God's law. Indeed, they could not obey God's law. But in Christ, why did you have to be released from sin? And it's this so that you could please God. So that as you trust and as you have faith in Christ, you could be pleasing to God. And when this changes in your life, you're no longer hostile to God. You actually start delighting in the law. You start setting your mind on the things of the Spirit. And you rejoice in Christ. That's the new mind. The new mind has been regenerated. I I, I love, Adam was kind of talking to me about Psalm 1 in between um, just first service and second service. And, And Psalm 1 makes known that blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. That's the new man. That's the new life, and you are given that in Christ. But I love Paul's encouragement. He, he, yes, states that your mind has been regenerated, but he doesn't stop there. Instead, if we kind of flip over to Romans 7, not Romans 7, but Romans 12, you don't have to go there. Starting in verse 2, he encourages believers that even though your mind is regenerated, your mind needs to be renewed daily. Your mind needs to be renewed daily. And that's where he encourages believers, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So your new life and your new mind, I think of a baby is complete, but that baby still needs to be matured. That your mind in Christ is complete and your life is complete, but you still need to be maturing. And we see how this happens in Colossians 3, 9 through 10. 
Paul states, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put on the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge. In knowledge. And that's the word of God, the knowledge of God. How how can you renew your mind? Set your mind on the words of God. And here's what's incredible. We, we kind of go full circle here. How, how do you renew your mind? And it's by going back to verse one, looking upon Christ, looking at the gospel. And as you consider him, and as you consider the truths and the promises that is given to the believer, that will renew your mind. And you are gonna continually grow like the tree in Psalm one that delights in the law that delights in God, that is satisfied in God, that sees God as the, and, and, and in God is given eternal joy and peace. Your affections for the law and your affections for, for Christ will grow as you are stoking it by the word. Your affections need to be stoked and your mind needs to be renewed. And that's a beautiful reality. In Christ, you are no longer under the penalty of sin, but you're no longer under the power of sin. And just like the first truth, within that comes another reality for the unbeliever. And that reality is dreadful. And if you're an unbeliever, really, verses six through eight describes who you are. You are, in your slavement to sin, you are hostile to God. You do not submit to God's law. Indeed, you cannot submit to God's law. And because of that, you cannot please God. And so I plead for you, turn to Christ. Look to Christ today. And he will release you from sin's penalty and he will release you from sin's power so that you're able to obey him and delight in him. The most marvelous reality is to be in Christ. And if this is you, if you are in Christ Turn to Romans 8, verses 37 through 39. Paul, as he kind of throws out all of the wondrous truths of being in Christ and having new life in the Spirit, here's here's where he goes. He says, No, in all of these things that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height or death, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate you, Christian, from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so as we look at these beautiful truths, I, I pray that it would be true of us to like Derek Thomas said, Ask the question, how could God love me so much? And look to God and his love for you and rest in it. And rest in what you have 
in Christ Jesus, because to be in him is the most marvelous reality. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Lord, help us renew our minds with your truth. Help us delight in your truth and in your law. Christ, we are thankful for what we have in you. We are thankful that we are no longer condemned. We are thankful that we are no longer controlled. We are thankful that we have been given a definitive verdict and that in you, we are no longer guilty. And I pray Lord, if there are those who are not in Christ and and, and they're here today and they're seeing the the beauty of what comes from being in Christ and they see the, the dread of what comes from being apart from Christ, that they would turn to you, have faith in you, and that you would save them. Lord, thank you so much. Spirit, help us as we grow in our understanding of the word, and as we grow and renew our minds, uh, lead us and guide us, give us wisdom, and it's in your name that we pray, amen.